Hey there, this is Eric with Tourism Marketing Mastery, and today's episode is a juicy one. Let me tell you why. When I first started getting into marketing my boutique resort, I have to tell you that I completely failed. And if you've listened to any previous podcasts, you'll know that uh, I'm pretty open about that, about the fact that everything that I was trying in traditional marketing wasn't working. And one thing that I did do that worked was I reached out to other resort marketers and other resort uh, managers and asked them what they were doing in their marketing that was working. And there was one thing, one key thing that made a massive difference in the response to our marketing. And it wasn't something I learned in university. The thing that I learned is what we're going to be talking about in this podcast. And that is copywriting and direct response marketing. And it's a bit of a secret in the tourism industry. Not many uh, boutique resorts, hotels, tour operators really understand the principles of how to use that as a tool. And I really wanted to open up the box here for you and show you what it is that we're doing, uh, what it is that that my guest, Casey, uh, has been using for quite a number of years now, pretty successfully, uh, that's working for him, what's working for me, and we're going to give you um, everything in detail, how we use it, how we use it in our marketing, how we use it within um, our own boutique resorts. Casey also is a boutique resort owner. And why we believe in testing. We believe in the power of putting it out there and just showing what the numbers or, or letting the numbers show um, what's actually working. So I'm going to jump into this. We're going to share all those, all those juicy tidbits with you in this interview. So without further ado, let's get into things. Hey, my name is Eric Hatterscheidt, and I'm part of a group of independent tourism operators that you've probably never heard of. We deliver experiences that are beyond a photo shoot. When they're not, we're actually have to change our guests' lives. But because we don't have unlimited budgets like the big brands, we have to think differently. We have to be clever with our marketing. We need to reach our audiences to make the impact, but we also need to be profitable right from the start. Unfortunately, traditional education is about 20 years behind, and they aren't teaching us what we need to know. So we've decided to take matters into our own hands. We're sharing marketing tactics that work today because we are experienced masters and what we do matters. Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Tourism Marketing Mastery. I'm your host, Eric Hatterscheidt. And today I've got a guest on the show. His name is Casey Halloran, and he is the co-founder of NAMU Travel Group, which is down in Central America, they specialize in Central American travel. Um, and the reason that I brought Casey onto the show today is we, we got connected. Casey did find me through the podcast, but what I found really fascinating about Casey in a previous conversation that we had is his use of marketing practices that I haven't seen um, widespread in the tourism industry and their marketing practices that I've talked about on the podcast. Uh, and I would really love to just just have a bit of a chat with Casey around uh, how he uses some of the marketing that we're talking about, some in some cases direct response, and then in a lot of uh, areas we're just talking about just being a little bit more innovative than a lot of the other um, tourism operators that are out there. So I'm pretty stoked to have him on the show. Welcome, Casey. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so how you doing today, man? Good, man. So um, it's a cloudy Friday in San Jose, Costa Rica, but. Yeah, things uh, things in virus news seem to be improving. So yeah, around the board they're they're slowly yeah. warming up. So I mean the the virus and and the weather that helps too. So good. Yeah, but yeah, things um, are good. Marketing metrics seem to be improving a little bit. All the early indicators we look at are improving, and hopefully now consumer sentiment and traveler sentiment improves. Uh, what we don't know in our part of the world yet is when are we allowed to open? So that's I think that's huge uncertainty. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. That's the big question is, yeah. What's, what, what's going to happen here? So um, Casey, I'd like to get a little bit into just a little bit of your background um, sure. before we roll into some, some more current questions, but I want to hold on to that thought about, you know, when are we going to be opening and what are we doing in the meantime, as far as marketing goes, we'll just, we'll, I think we'll just bat a few ideas back and forth, what we're doing, sure. what you guys are doing, yeah. just see how you're addressing the situation uh, to the best of your ability. But mm -hmm. Let me take it back first. So um, tell me a little bit about how you got into the hospitality industry. I'm an internet marketer and really a marketer at heart. My parents both own small businesses. 
Um, maybe it's relevant, but I'm from a tiny town in rural Pennsylvania, which is heavily dependent on tourism, um, yeah. nature, wildlife, hunting and fishing. So I grew up in small business. I grew up in, in merchandising and marketing and, and seeing what, what uh, tourists look like. But when I was in university, I studied uh, marketing and business and I just have always loved the combination of uh, the written and spoken word in advertising and marketing. And I think what really suits me is marketing is a little bit left brain, right brain. And I happen to be left-handed and uh, I just have always enjoyed uh, writing copy, writing direct response. My first job in university and really the only adult job I ever had was working for a small internet startup in 1997 that was selling online software and we were building, I was building their first web page, writing their ad copy. And a lot of that was direct response letter writing. So we had a database that I was hand typing into Microsoft Access. We were writing direct response letters. And so I was reading the, the Gary Halbert stuff and the Dan Kennedy stuff way back in the late 90s. And my mother was an English teacher. I was having her read my direct response letters. And I just- <laughs> I really hated reading. that. Yeah, and I, and I enjoyed it, you know? Yeah. And so, um, maybe 12 months into my adult working career, I was such a misfit that I, I never really felt good in interviews with any of the big companies hiring where I was in Virginia. I could have been writing direct response letters for Capital One trying to sell credit cards to the masses. <laughs> and uh, I just somewhere got it in my mind that I needed to move abroad. I'd gone to university with a bunch of Panamanian students and yeah. I'd studied abroad in San Sebastian, Spain. And I just had this impulse to move abroad. And on the internet back then, this is early days, uh, Lycos and Northern Lights and other search engines have long since passed. Costa Rica just had way more information, uh, way more small websites hmm. than every other place that I was researching. And uh, I packed up and moved. My parents, had sold their businesses and they wanted to send me retire somewhere. And so I did a year with my parents and my 15 year old sister at the time, sort of a Swiss family Robinson thing uh, of all of us living in, in San Jose, Costa Rica. And I started a little internet website, a directory selling ads. And the people that I just really hit it off with were the hoteliers. Mm -hmm. And somewhere in there, I started a, a basically like a blog, a newsletter hyping these properties and I would just go and visit them. And I thought it was so much fun. My family returned to Pennsylvania. I moved across town to a cheaper part of the city, put an ad in the newspaper for a roommate. And that guy became my 20 year business partner. <laughs> and uh, at some point we're just like, let's start an online agency. That really wasn't a term OTA at the time. There wasn't a whole lot of that activity yet, but we built a boutique agency and it just went way better than planned. That's really fascinating. I'm, I'm going to go back. I'm, I, I held on to one of these questions um, as you were telling your story there. You talked about how you were doing direct response marketing way back in the day and your mm -hmm. mom was an English teacher and you got her to take a look at some of those letters. Um, what I'm interested in is were there points where your mom was trying to correct some of your direct response because it didn't hit some of the English grammatical rules, but it hit direct response rules. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a gigantic believer in writing the way you speak. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the most powerful language is common language. I've always been a much bigger believer in Hemingway than I don't know, some of your longer winded authors. Yeah. Great writing isn't great editing. And, uh, you know, it's it, the beautiful part, particularly about internet marketing and why I really, really, it just stuck with me is the ability to test your art with metrics and get just a couple days ago, we were building some pages in Unbounce. We were just building some quick yeah. landing pages to test, to test a quick idea and A-B test something. And I, there's nothing more thrilling to me than throwing an idea out there and seeing what works. And whether that's Google AdWords or an unbalanced page, 20 odd years of doing this, it's still thrilling to me. Yeah. To the, the not knowing and seeing 
if putting Vominos in the call to action button might do better than uh, let's get this coconut rolling. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, just having a little bit of fun with it. Yeah. You know? Oh, I love that. I love the, I love that uh, you're touching on that personality in the writing as well, because that's something we really strive for at a micro level. We're doing that with the resort. We try and put that into some of, some of our copy, both, both in social media, but on the forms as well. Like even in our, in our application form, um, there's, there's things in there. One of the funnest things I've played with, and this is a, this is just for anybody listening. If you're a resort or a tourism business, you have an application form or an inquiry form in the form itself. We just put, um, a space for questions or comments. I mean, that's pretty normal, right? But then in brackets, we put the funnier responses will be given priority. And it's fun because every day I'm reading people's jokes as they're coming in. Like it's it's brilliant. Yeah. But it sets what it does more than just, just entertaining for us is it sets the tone for the guest as to what kind of experience they're going to be getting when they, when they come. And there's a lot of small things before that. That's not the only thing, but I think that's brilliant. And what I've never quite understood is why everyone's so afraid to be a little bit different. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm a huge fan of comedy and I think the first rule of comedy is surprise. Yeah, and that's why it's tragic when your favorite comedy shows all the good stuff in the trailer because now it's not surprising, you know. And my mind is blown at how, particularly when we talk about luxury or higher end things, how everybody seems to huddle around the same campfire and it everything becomes corporate gobbledygook and just boring. Mm-hmm. And if there's any space where there's just no room for that, in my opinion, it's travel. Travel's exploration, excitement, and surprise. So why would you have your website look identical to everyone else's or have all the buttons say submit, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. But for some reason, I, you know, there's, you pay high dollar consultants or an expensive ad agency. And at some point people uh, are afraid of being wrong. You know, that's, that's the thing that you see in any industry at the high level. And I'm sure you're familiar with that is that oftentimes industries, they're paying to mitigate their losses and yeah. not, looking to um in necessarily look for increased gains Often you're not going to get it, it is, yeah. you're not going to get a 10x change without a 10x bold move hmm. and i don't know if you've ever followed the website conversion rate experts they're in england it's a no. great website i think no. you really enjoy it and it's, it's like if you want big if you want big impact you got to make big changes if hmm. you want to really dramatically see something happen good or bad You've got to be willing to change the navigation of your website, change your homepage message, change the giant image on the homepage, change your, your uh, conversion funnel, change the form. You've got to be willing to try stuff. And, you know, the older and more brittle a business gets where you're now shooting for 1% growth, you just hear everybody. The, the DNA of the business eventually just fights against change. Mm. And the, the sad part of, from any entrepreneur or any startup or any small businesses, that's how we all got there was by taking risks, A-B testing the crap out of stuff, sometimes just A-A testing, making a, <laughs> you know, taking a big move. Yeah. And little by little, that risk, that risk taking gets frittered away. Why don't we, Casey, I want to I pause for a second because I'm guessing based on the conversations I've had um, with listeners to the, of this podcast, most of them have no clue what we're talking about. When we talk about, even if we talk about direct response or A-B testing or split testing, maybe it's important that we define a couple of those terms just so sure. that uh, you're not totally, our listeners aren't totally lost in this podcast. So um, I do think it's, it's imperative though that they understand how important those tools are to us as marketers um, in, in making sure that we're constantly improving because that's really what it comes down to is saying, hey, how do we, make, how do we measure constant improvement in our marketing? Um, yeah, so. I mean, otherwise it's all just opinions, right? And then mm-hmm. usually the highest paid person or the creative person or whomever you've hired, they just get away with their opinion. Uh, I'm a big believer in prove it. Yeah. You know, I think, I think that it's, I've spent so much money on AdWords. I think it'd blow your mind if I told you how much over 20 years. And the beauty of it is um, all I've learned from it is the ads that I wrote that I thought would work don't work. Yeah, that's huge. It's, that's so good. That's so good to hear from you because I'm in the oh same boat. Yeah, people come to me, pay me big money for marketing advice. And I'm like, I'm not going to tell you which ad here is going to work because that would, no. that would demean 
that I actually know what I'm doing. If I told you that would inherently be a lie because I've been yeah. proven wrong myself doing my very best job so many times where, yeah, I'll create an ad that I think is brilliant. And then I'll create a few ads to split test against it. And it's some bullshit piece I put together in five seconds that far outperforms the thing that I spent an hour on. Or I can't remember who it was. Somebody said, if you're a music person, if you're an artist, the, your worst song will become your first hit. <laughs> the one you absolutely hate, it's going to haunt you the rest of your life. And why, why do people like that? one? Yeah. And I don't think, I think writing ad copy, modifying websites, I'm telling you, I've spent so much money on this stuff to know, I don't know nothing. Yeah. You need to let the consumer decide. Yeah. You need to have a general direction of, of the voice you think you want to have, the level of whimsy, all that sort of stuff. Your general value proposition, what you believe makes you different. Yeah. If you don't know that stuff, you're lost. But the best innovation I've seen come out of Google AdWords in a long time are these dynamic ads where you write 10 yeah. headlines, you write 10, and it mixes and matches until it finds you the winner. So just say it's gobs and gobs of time. Yeah. But you have to be willing to stretch the edges a little bit on your creativity of saying, all right, let's see what would happen if I said something a little bit nutty. Yeah. Or what if we, what if this thing that, you know, we absolutely have been saying that for 35 years, we have to keep saying it. Well, what if you didn't once, you know? Yeah. Uh, and if that's the beauty of AB testing is you're, you're putting up multiple variants of anything, whether it's a landing page or website or the ad copy. And you let, you let karate kid style, you let them, you let them battle it out. And survival of the fittest, your stuff evolves. If you're not running those kind of things all the time, you're, it's very hard to evolve. So let's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause for a sec, just because I don't think we have clearly defined exactly what we're talking about. I think people, if they're listening and they don't know, they're probably starting to glean a few things. But let's just, let's define a few terms. So first of all, um, direct response. Direct response. How would you define a direct, uh, direct response, Casey? Oh, I mean, if, if I'm sending out outbound emails, mm -hmm. if I'm sending out outbound physical mailer, if I am even sending out uh, a paid advertisement on social media, a boosted post, I'm shooting for a direct response on that, on that piece, meaning I'm not branding, whatever that means. I'm not Coca-Cola putting up a bunch of billboards to increase brand awareness. I am shooting for the client to do something. That might be fill out a form for later, might be sign up for a newsletter, maybe make a phone call, but it's something that's trackable so that I can say this copy or this effort did better than the other one. So there's a specific metric or a goal tied to that thing. I'm trying to get somebody to do something. Yeah, absolutely. So good definition there. And um, let's cover A-B testing, split testing, which we're going to say are the same thing, just different terms for the same thing. Yeah, I mean, uh, the beautiful thing, whether you, there's a lot of different ways to use it now. I mean, Google has their own onboard inside of analytics. You've got uh, other third-party tools. You can buy a, a landing page tool like Unbounce. Mm -hmm. In Google's own ads, you're able to put up multiple variants of a different ad, but you're just constantly trying to say, Rather than have, rather than put all of our eggs in one basket, what if we showed different versions of a web page? What if we showed different versions of an ad? And based on whatever you've set the goal to be, see which one wins. Yeah. And a lot of these unbounced type tools will let you run the experiment and will just say, this one looks like the winner. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a massive fan of that. And it, it strikes me as... Uh, a, a massive loss of opportunity that really, I don't see this at all in our industry, especially in tourism. And that's why I was so fascinated to talk to you is because I don't see people trying to split test anything. They just put stuff out there and, and hope it works, especially when it comes to pages, when it comes to landing pages. Yeah, it's a huge mistake because we all, we all have wildly different opinions and there's also nothing more stifling in an organization when people think that their opinions aren't getting heard. Uh, I've got a lot of talented people talking to customers every day. So they have, they've also done their own A-B testing for mm. years of their lives to try to compel people to buy. Yeah. So I really like letting some of the salespeople write ad copy. Yeah. They've been writing it every day in their emails. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, we all get stale. It's hard to look at things with, beginner, with beginner's eyes after a point. You become blind to stuff. So I just think it's smart to... I mean, if you're a small hotel, you're, uh, see what your guests are saying, 
in your TripAdvisor reviews, see how they're describing properties. And just to grab a different ad copy from different places and build different versions of things. Between headlines and opening statements and image, that's three variants. Yeah. Make three versions of that and you're already up to nine. So it's just there's just infinite possibilities if you decide to instead of wanting to be right, let's find out what is right. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, and I think you 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 dropped some gold there, and I don't know if the listeners would have picked up on that. So I'm gonna come back to it, which is there are places where you don't have to imagine your copy. You're not just thinking it up out of thin air. You're getting your copy from, if you have salespeople, definitely talk to them because they are doing what works. Um, and getting copy out of your, your customer reviews, testimonials, what the customers are actually saying is also brilliant. You're basically taking that person's thoughts and you're finding more people that are like them that want that similar experience, which is, is absolutely brilliant. So. I'm sure you uh, found this a lot of hoteliers after a while when you're, when you're in year 10 and your, your world is back of house. Yeah. Um, you lose perspective on where your property fits into the global picture. Oh, while the, the customer's traveling the world, the customer yeah. has been around and the customer can more easily say, or, or a travel agent, you know, whose job it is to curate and understand things can say, Oh, this is how I describe this property becomes very difficult for the hotel owner to, to objectively see themselves after a long period of time. So I, that's why I think it's really key to go out and read your TripAdvisor or, or similar reviews because the customers are gonna, eventually they're the ones that are gonna define your brand. Yeah. So what are they saying? I mean, that's also a really key point because I'm not gonna project this on everybody, but uh, I know for sure, having worked with the hundreds of businesses that that I've worked with personally when I ask the business owner what makes your business unique the answer that they give even if they have a, an immediate answer says oh this is what makes us unique yeah I have to point out to them 99% of the time you know what that's what everyone else says of course it is it's like oh you think that's unique but it's not I even I had to have that same conversation with my own parents where I said yeah. hey they they're like oh we've got a super unique property I'm like you guys haven't you you haven't sampled everything else that's out there as yeah, far as competition and, goes, we're not. Yeah. And at that time, at that time, I said, we're not unique. Here's what we need to do to become more unique. And yeah. we're still working on that process every day. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm a huge believer in, um, you keep stacking words together until you've created your own category. Mm -hmm. Like there's the, one of my favorite marketing books is the 22 immutable laws. You yeah. That one? Yeah. Yeah. It's, I read it, know, yeah. it's that big. Yeah. Uh, when in doubt, create a new category. Mm -hmm. Now that's not easy. Everybody wants to be the next Red Bull. You know, Red Bull would create, I mean, at least they defined the category for this other kind of drink. Yeah. Therefore could charge a premium for it. The other one they always like to refer to as Cirque du Soleil. They created a new sort of weird category in, in entertainment and still is charging a premium for that. So I, I feel like if, if you can take a couple known things about your hotel and then you go, is there something else we can say? Is there something else we could say? And maybe, maybe some of it's a stretch to start and you have to deepen that difference. But once you get about four or five words deep, sometimes you can say the only, we're yeah. the only hotel that is yeah. 20 minutes from an airport, adults only, meals included, boutique, unique, that's our small hotels story. Any one of those things on its own might not be unique, but once you start stacking those descriptive words together, then you can almost get into a new category. And that's where ultimately you want to be. The oddest thing in marketing and trends is people want to just keep grabbing onto trends almost like, like uh, life preservers. Mm -hmm. So if foodie tourism is it, we do that too. Yeah. You know, If coupled it, we do that too but you just have to be very careful as opposed to saying we're the only one that does all these things together. Um, but again, it's just, I think it's just a weird thing that happens where people huddle around the same campfire business thinking that that's safe. It feels more dangerous to say we're the only one that does X. Yeah. I think it was um, Seth Godin. Some, I believe it was Seth Godin. I'm totally paraphrasing off the top of my head here, but I believe he said that um, the most unsafe thing that you can do is try and play it safe. 
because then you just, true. from a marketing perspective, you just fit in with everyone else that's out there. It just feels safe. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's that innate human thing to point, if it does fail, it's the ability to point the finger and say, but they were all doing it too. So I'm not. Doing right. That. At least we all went down. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's not being bold enough to say, Hey, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this my way, or we're going to do this our way. And we're going to accept the responsibility if it does go down, but at least we tried. Yeah. It's the oddest thing how, when these trends emerge, uh, people then want to chase the trend as opposed to sometimes if everyone's running for a certain exit, if you're the only one going the other way, sometimes it's a better bet, even if it's a longer walk. Um, but yeah, it's just a strange thing that happens. And very often the crazy person in advertising or in the marketing room seems so crazy that nobody wants to listen to them. But again, what's so beautiful now with technology is it doesn't have to be an all or nothing wager. Yeah. You know, with these AB testing tools, if somebody, if your nephew were to propose some crazy idea to you, you can show that idea 20% of the time. You know, oh, just and we're, we're doing it. I actually like had this conversation two days ago, I think with one of my interns. And I said, I'm not here to judge like whether this is going to work or not going to work. The numbers are going to judge that. So if you have an idea and I don't like it, we're still going to test it. We'll throw it out there. We'll see how it goes. It's liberating. So, yeah. So um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a massive fan of that. I'm like, Hey, I, I have to accept that other people have other ideas. Let's test those ideas. Um, instead so of it's the only way. Yeah. In the old days, it was harder to change things. In the old days, maybe it was cost. I don't know. It just, it's not, particularly right now when there's so much in doubt, mm -hmm. this is the time to get bold, get a little crazy. So let's talk Casey a little bit. I'd, I'd like to explore as much as you're willing to, I'd like to take a little bit more of a dive down the path of using direct response within tourism and just what you've seen as general trends that do work. So, um, and I'll talk to ours as well. I'll, I'll share what's worked for us at a micro level, but if you're willing to share some of like, Hey, this is what the industry seems to be doing, but then this is what we're kind of doing. Um, I don't know if that's, if that's too invasive of ask that kind of question. I mean, look, I, I'm not going to lie to you when it comes to um, email marketing, we've been a little bit lazy about it only, only in tough times or when things are slower in low season, mm -hmm. do we really get more aggressive with list marketing? What we try to do is be as targeted as possible, uh, not overwork lists and only speak to the audience when we think there's something worth talking about. Yeah. Um, um, that's the only good thing I would say about weird times, like yeah. life in the time of Corona is I think a lot of people do want information, mm -hmm. you know, like when can I come, you know, stuff about cancellations, terms and conditions has never been a bigger deal. So what has worked best for us is very segmented lists, AB testing as well. Yeah. Uh, not overworking the lists and fresh lists. You know, you don't want to necessarily be hitting a 50,000 person database from that's 10 years old. Yeah. And I can tell you all the stuff I know doesn't work. Yeah, go for it. That's actually, that's just yeah. as important, if not more important. Yeah. I mean, I think the first thing is, is uh, you need to add value. So don't just communicate to communicate. Don't just be sending out BS newsletters just to like fill up people's inboxes. Yeah. Um, I think send all lists are a thing of the past. If you're not segmenting your list, you're just being lazy. You know, the, the tools now, whether you're using MailChimp or something similar, the tools are really good. So it, yeah. it's not that hard to segment your people, segment your databases, clean the databases up a little bit, um, be smart about your subject lines, run things through spam filters. If you're not getting flagged because you put a bunch of HTML or links and photos in there. Mm -hmm. It's just some basic good best practices of which there are a gazillion articles written. Because what you don't want to do is get your domain burned you know, because yeah. you cause so many complaints. Um, and I just think you don't, you don't want to abuse your audience. Let's pause on that for a second. I'm going to, I'm going to interject and share a method that's been working phenomenally well for us for years. Uh, and it still works really well. And you've probably done this and you, if you haven't done it, you'll absolutely understand the concept. I call it the concept of the ugly email. So with our business, 
we have a policy where we don't send out any emails to our list that look like they're marketing advertising emails. There's no splash images. There's no, um, hey, this is this week's special. There's none of that stuff. If we send out an email, it's got to be information exactly like you said. It's got to be valuable information um, or information that that person they're looking for. So um, when we're sending information out, even if it is, let's say it's a special, let's say that we have, uh, we have some, some cabins that we want to book that haven't been booked out. We'll send out an email and we do segment our list. So we're usually, we'll send this out to our, our most loyal guests, the ones that have returned quite a few times. And what we'll do is we'll send out an email to them and we'll say something along the lines of, Hey, we've got these openings um, in the cabins and we're, we're thinking we'll give it to you. And I wanted to reach out to you uh, personally and see if you were interested in this. Um, and if you book it, um, just cause we know you, we'll give you an extra, whatever, we'll give you a free, free firewood or something like that along with it. But what you put in the email is not near as important as understanding that when you write that email, you have to write it as if you're writing to just that one person mm -hmm. and they have to believe that you're writing to just them. That's, yeah. that's the key. And then when they respond, then we'll get a number of responses back. Um, and when they respond, they feel like you were writing to just them. We try and accomplish that with every single email that we send out is like, we're writing to just that one person yeah. that, Hey, I wanted to, to reach out to just you. And our response rate on that is ridiculously high. Um, we know when we send out an email, we're going to get a, a massive response rate, which is amazing. It's not always a cabin rental. Sometimes it's other things like, for instance, for the coronavirus thing, um, we had to communicate information. We just say, Hey, here are new, here are new policies. And I think we did a really, really good job with it. Saying we use that same concept, the ugly email concept pretended, I shouldn't say pretended because we do reach out to them, but we said, Hey, we wanted to talk to you specifically, see how you and your family are doing. And we wanted to let you know that this is what our policy is going to be as far as it pertains to your rental coming up. Um, and I think as a result of that, from those emails, we, we were proactive sending those emails out and saying, hey, here's what your options are. We had one cancellation um, out of the hundreds and hundreds of cancellations we've got over the, the course of the year. Um, we had one, one person write back from those emails and say, oh yeah, this is a bit of concern. We want to cancel the rest. All were like, oh, we're so glad that you reached out to us and you're concerned about what we're, what's going on with us. And thank you for making it easy for us during this time. And, and I think that really, that concept has, has saved a lot of, a lot of uh, the revenue for us as a business. And we do care about our guests. We care about them immensely. Our guests are awesome, but it's it's a concept that you can use in a lot of different applications. Yeah, I think there's two concepts there. One, which is the ugly email. I think there somewhere in there somewhere in life we got convinced that good marketing has to look good. No, because that and sorry, um, let me define why I said ugly email. We call no, but ugly. I know exactly because, what you mean. Because you ask yourself, what kind of what does the email look like that you get from your best friend? What does the email right. look like that you get yeah. from your mom? What does it look yeah. like? Does it look like a big splashy image? No. no. So send an email that looks like it would come from your mom, <laughs> basically was our policy. Yeah, I, I mean, and I, I think it goes beyond just that. I think there are plenty of Craigslist or even Amazon style websites that don't necessarily look the best, but they oh, work. Yeah. yeah. You know, so I think sometimes people confuse uh, aesthetics with basically form over function. In the end, it's what works. What works, works. And sometimes ugly does work. Yeah. And two, in any direct response, anything, uh, optimal is one-to-one. -one. I mean, if you can hand email your database, if there is a group of ultra VIPs with whom you should be communicating one-to-one, -one, particularly about something as crucial as a cancellation, you do it. Yeah. Short of that, you figure out the best way possible, like you're saying, to fake it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that it's both, both those are incredibly practical. I'd love to see one of your ugly emails. Yeah, I can, yeah, I can share those with you, share what we got. Yeah. Um, totally we, never buy, we never say we're reaching to out to just you, yeah. but, but part of it, I mean, if you read it, it almost seems that way. I know that we've done other, in working with some of the other businesses, um, let's say there is some kind of special or something. So maybe there's an idea for you or anybody else that's listening. Um, sometimes we'll send out an email and we make sure that you always, like when you sign off on the email, we used to make the mistake of signing off as, 
in our case, like the cozy cabins team or the, like the group, right? You, you don't get responses that way. You get responses if you sign off as one individual, just one mm. person. Yeah. And, um, and for us, we, uh, where was I going with this? Um, oh, if there is some kind of special or event, actually events, are, this works really well for events. Um, so let's say you're having an event. You actually, you get the, you, usually you'll get your secretary, or in your case, maybe it would be one of your, your um, travel agents. You send off an email that's, it is legitimately a pre-email, so it's not to the whole list, but it's to a list of people that have maybe bought before or are previous buyers. And you send off an email to them and say, hey, we're about to put this big announcement out there that we're going to host this event and we're going to be putting tickets out. I know we're going to sell this event out, but I wanted to reach out to you and let you know that you can, like, I can get, I can get you a ticket before we actually advertise the event if you're interested. And then it's signed off by like the secretary or the, like somebody that's kind of like they're, they're the insider in the organization, but they're not necessarily the CEO or the boss or whatever. Mm. We have pre-sold events, like pre-sold 80% of events just by that sending out that email first. And then we do make the big public announcement and say, Hey, now we're hosting this event, blah, blah, blah. And we'll sell the rest of the tickets so that there's legitimacy to what we're saying. But, um, but it creates that scarcity and urgency saying you have only until this date before it goes public and you get, I can get one of these tickets for you before anyone else does. Love it. It's great. Um, anyway, so Casey with, uh, with advertising or marketing in the travel industry, especially from a direct response perspective, has there been a general consensus for what you see travelers out there respond to? as far as, as ads, I, I don't know if, do you guys run ads at all? Any like marketing or ads? Yeah, tons. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you do, so yeah. Yeah, the vast majority of our ad budget is pay-per-click. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, so is there any, any general, general areas that travelers tend to respond to as far as um, what they're reading or what they're seeing online? Uh, I think insider deals. Mm. I, I think that we I mean, the nightmare for the whole industry is always being run on price. So it's just like you're mentioning with exclusivity, it's how do you short of just constantly throwing price, um, put forth something that makes something feel secret or exclusive. Yeah. So usually things are, are around that, you know, of course it's always an additional value add, um, it's not just coming flat out and saying discount, discount, discount. Yeah. But something where it's secret, it's exclusive, where you're going to get more of something. Mm -hmm. Those are the those are the things that usually work well for us. Interesting. Um, what I'll throw out there too from our end is, and I, I'm sure you have some sense of this as well. But as far as direct response ads that work really well for us. And when I say uh, ads, in our case, our primary platforms, if we use them, are Google and Facebook um, and Instagram. Actually, throw that in there as well. Mm -hmm. Usually the ads that work well are the ones that actually don't talk about the destination really at all. There might There's photos of the destination, but it actually talks about the emotional experience the person's going to yeah. have once they're there. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, I guess that's what everybody's looking for is, I think there's a weird tendency um, to describe the bricks and mortar, you know, the mm -hmm. square meters and such. But ultimately, I think what everybody's trying to figure out is what's the feeling that place is going to bring me? You know, like if you, it, it's funny, but I, don't you guys call yourself cozy cabins or something like yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, when, you, when I think about cabins and mountains, a lot of people, I want to feel cozy. I have this notion of being, you know, some sort of blanket and fireplace and my yeah. family and the fire's crackling. So it's always this feeling, uh, you know, and there's a huge wheel of emotions. I think that sometimes we get a little bit lazy about all mentioning the same feelings, mm. you know, romantic. Yeah. So, well, you know, here's, here's another unique point. And look at it, looking those up. Like what, what are the feelings you can expect to feel on this vacation or at this property or in this moment? Or and you what know the where we got those from is exactly what you said. We actually took those from our testimonials. Our testimonials yeah. become our ads. Um, yeah. Our reviews become our ads. The other thing that 
other individuals don't necessarily always do is we actually will hit on fears as well. We'll address the, the consumer's fears. So mm-hmm. for us, we, um, we primarily target moms because we, we go after families. That's our bread and butter. Okay. And we will talk about how they don't need to stress over where their kids are because they don't have, uh, they don't have to worry about the fact that they're not, they're packed in with a thousand other people um, or there's crowds or there's areas where they can't see their kids. Um, we'll talk about the fact that they can, they can, uh, yeah, they can unwind with a glass of wine, whatever, but we'll, we definitely hit on the kid thing a lot where they say, Hey, because we took, again, we took those from the testimonials. Oh, we love not having to worry about our kids at this place. Yeah. Love, um, you're not going to have to worry about, about, um, who your neighbors are. Cause you don't have any neighbors. Like it's, yeah. So there's just, there's a number of things where we play into, we definitely address the fears as well. That's funny. You mentioned that, uh, we, we mentioned that a ton in, in our sales pitch. Um, basically saving time and stress. Yeah. We're not necessarily going to save you tons of money. There's a gazillion websites for yeah. discount everything, but saving time and stress and worrying about making a mistake. So a lot of people worry. That's yeah. the problem of the infinite choice now is infinite yeah. choices, infinite opportunities to screw it up. Uh, but I do think, I mean, that the ultimate and direct response is the, is the infomercial. You know, and every infomercial says, does your neck hurt from sit-ups? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, you have to establish the problem out of the gate. Exactly. And I think in some of these cases, it's what are these fears regarding your trip? Yeah. And one of the massive ones, particularly for the younger crowd, is fear of missing out. So how do you make it very clear that you can do all this here? You don't need to worry about X, Y, Z. But I do think there's a weird, you know, taboo about discussing negatives. And I think it's perfectly fine, particularly right now when travelers have a lot of worries on their mind to say, here's probably the things you're thinking about. And here's how we solve that. So bringing that up, because obviously what I'm, what I'm getting out of this conversation is that you and I both, there's a certain way that we approach marketing. And all we've said is, Let's not let our own opinions get in the way. Let's go out to the market and just test a million different things and find out what the market's biting on. And what, what I'm hearing from this, and this is, this is my experience, is that what the market bites on is not what the traditional industry approaches to marketing. Is that, is that you're finding? Completely. I, 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 this, some old Hollywood producer said, the one thing I learned after 30 years in this business is nobody knows nothing. I think it's absolutely true. I think a lot of fancy ad agencies and consultants like to come across as uber confident, but I think nobody knows nothing. And I think it's even harder when you're the owner who feels vested. No, our clients come back for our mattresses. That's what we, all right, prove it. Yeah. Prove it. Write that ad copy, make that landing page. I just think it's so silly at this juncture when the data and the tools are so good to have silly arguments, test every idea. Mm. And there is such a wellspring of ideas out there between competitors, other destinations, reading reviews on TripAdvisor. Go find what works. Somewhere, if you're a hotelier, there's some other hotelier like yours somewhere else in the world who's kicking your butt. What are they doing differently? Yeah, absolutely. Success leaves clues. You know, so we've, we, we've emulated stuff all the time and across industries. Yeah. Like, oh, that's clever. Let's try it. I had a conversation an hour ago about that. We, you know, the, the uh, crazy egg guys, you know, Neil Patel and Quick yeah, Sprout. Yeah. Yeah. Neil Patel's partner was Avinash. He's the one that wrote some of their, their software. Yeah. And he sent out a newsletter today that I thought was great. It said, never let a crisis go to waste. Hmm. Great deals. Yeah. Yeah. You know, now that initially you're like, that's a little bit jarring. It's also clever. It cuts through the noise. Got me to read it. Yeah. No, Neil Patel, I, I follow a bunch of his stuff <laughs> as much as I can. I mean, there's a lot of guys out there that are brilliant um, right now. It sounds also to me like you and I, and I'm not going to say that we're the only ones by any means, but we very much follow a lot of what the, the marketing trends are online. A lot of the online marketers and online direct response marketers um, which comes out of the brilliant old, the old uh, direct response marketers. So talking about copywriting, giving reference to, like you said, Gary Halbert uh, or Dan Kennedy, 
those guys are brilliant. I follow both their stuff, but I think there's been this, especially in the luxury space. Oh, I definitely seen this in the luxury space. There's this like poo pooing of, of that kind of marketing. They're like, Oh no, no, no. We'll just, we'll show an ad with someone walking on the, on the Sandy beach and that, that will encompass what we do, or we'll show a plate of the wonderful food that we have. And that's, that's what does it. I'm like, you know, not to, 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 to push away the emotions of a human. It's not like the luxury client's not human. They're human. They might have different thoughts, different feelings in some capacity, but they still have emotions and thoughts and feelings. Why not find out what those are so you can serve them better? Yeah. I mean, I, I think what happens is people confuse themselves for luxury brands like Rolex or whatever that are, that are brands that are fiercely protecting that brand. And, you know, I get that if you're an ad agent trying to support the brand of four seasons or whatever, but if you're a boutique hotelier, uh, you got to do what works. Yeah. You know, and there's only one way to find out. And I don't necessarily think you're going to do any lifelong damage to some brand with an AB test. And that's true. There's a lot more liberty on the low end. And when I say, sorry, I shouldn't say the low end on the small side on the small side. That's something that I like, I love having our, our resort as a guinea pig because we get a decent amount of traffic, but compared to the four seasons, it's nothing. So, and I, I know we can recover from, from if I do make a mistake, I'm like, that's okay. We figured out yeah, the best works so we can recover from it. You don't have brand rules to follow, but you yeah. know, I think the, I think the mistake that a lot of people make when they look at some of these big brands is they assume that, they're direct response, but they're not. They're heavily sold through value-added resellers. So the marketing and the heavy lifting on a lot of that stuff is being done by somebody further down the supply chain. Yeah. So yeah, they're putting out stodgy, boring ads to support a brand, but the people out there selling it are gonna sell it with their twist and you bet they're gonna use emotion and other things to describe yeah. Because the four seasons in Costa Rica is very different than the multiple four seasons in Hawaii or Mexico. Yeah. Yeah. So you're going to use different words to, subs- to describe them. You know, the, I think there are boring middle of the road brands like Marriott. Yeah. To Marriott, okay. <laughs> yeah. That eventually it's more about your points and knowing that I can use my business travel points to travel somewhere safe somewhere else. It's almost like a cruise ship part yeah. abroad or something but i think those brands ultimately are going to struggle in the long run and that's why the ultimate boutique boutique brands would be the individual homes of an airbnb mm. the which of course is the bane of the existence of every small hotelier but i think if the small hotelier can really triple down on their uniqueness and their tie to the local flavor the things that people think they want from an airbnb while at the same time addressing some of the fears that you're not necessarily going to be able to address at an independent rental. Um, this is the challenge for small business marketers. And that's why to emulate big business marketers as a small business, I think a mistake. You gotta yeah. think more like the Oakland A's than the New York Yankees. Yeah, I, that's, a, that's a really, it's a good concept. Um, because even in that in that case, yeah, the Oakland A's have a much stronger direct response uh, marketing plan than than the Yankees do. Because um, they got Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, get less get budgets to work with. Yeah. Yeah, that's why well, whenever I hear, like, whenever I hear anything that's not direct response, or whenever I hear any sort of marketing consultant try to woo me with terms of branding, mm. I to me that translates to, don't expect it to work. <laughs> well, it's, it translates to me, it translates to, we're not going to measure this, so you can't hold us. That's it. That's to me, that's what branding is. Branding is, I have no way of telling you if this worked. Yeah. And I don't have time for that. I want to know what works. I need no. some sort of one-to-one response, even if that's a pre-pre-pre-response, even if that's just open rate, even. I need something yeah. to know because otherwise, yeah. but if, if you're saying let's go brand, I need to know that your branding effort beat the other branding effort somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so you still have to have some form of... of- Something. Measurement. Download yeah. to the app. I don't care. Yeah. Something. Yeah. Um, just before, and I'm not sure exactly how you feel in this, but just before readers assume that we're riffing on brand and saying branding is a bad thing, let me clarify and say, 
I think branding is brilliant and that's the foundation to how you're going to market from, from that point forward. So I think there's definitely, there's, there's a space where you need to think about branding because it dictates everything else. I don't know how you feel about that though. Well, look, I mean, it depends. I, I'm using branding in the terms of when a marketer comes in and says that's branding, mm. right? Versus like, well, let's define our brand. Does the brand yeah. have values? Does the brand have a personality? Does the brand have a voice? Uh, if this brand were a human being, what would, would I want to hang out with them? You know, I yeah. think it's important to think about any business in terms of like, I was going to name a different one, but I, I think there's, you need, you need to have a clear idea of the personality of the brand and the other things that brand would like, because then you can kind of get your head in the mind of what else do we think our customers like? I bet you at your cozy cabins, after a while, you know how they dress and the kind of food mm -hmm. they eat and the other brands they might like. Yeah. And that gives you some clues there of where else they might hang out, where you can go oh, totally find them as, a, as a marketer. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that, that helps us build our profiles. If we do target them on Facebook, um, for instance, we target those things. We say, what are their interests? And it would surprise you how 90% of the things that we put in that list have nothing to do with nature or cabins or any of those things there's there's all the yeah. other things um, that we see that they that we know we know who that guest is we know what their interests are we know what they're into so yeah and i um, think then you know you have a personal brand i might have a personal brand there are certain brands that don't resonate with me because i don't feel like it jives with me hmm. and there's interests there's activities and i think the most important are your values and your beliefs and yeah. if you feel like that just doesn't that that I, for some reason, I am repulsed by BMW. For some reason, that brand repulses me. I think of it yeah. as like the, the, the car for jerks and lawyers. Apologize, apologies to jerks and lawyers out there. There's something <laughs> about BMWs, at least in Latin America, that I, I see that car roll by it and I get the ick. I could mm. have a, a gazillion dollars and I would never want to buy one of those things. Mm -hmm. Because it associates you with that, that tribe of people. Whether that's true or not. Mm -hmm. That's just what, that's my perception of that brand. And so I think it's important to think about, you know, and again, I'm, I'm ascribing certain values to the people that I think like that brand. Yeah. So I think it ultimately comes down to like, what are your brand values? What are your brand, brand beliefs? Because if in, in marketing, there are brands like Patagonia, I'm sure there's even better ones that people have a clear idea of, of that, what that brand represents. Mm -hmm. And if they share those beliefs, they're like, I got to go run out and buy me a $300 coat because I believe what that brand represents. Yeah. And obviously everyone's chasing Apple because Apple seems to represent, you know, rebellion and art and youth. Um, and br brands that have a clear brand identity and values trade are pretty Yeah. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with this too, but just for anybody listening, if you, if you want a good talk on what I see as a foundational point of brand, um, looking at, at, it's getting old now, but Simon, Sen, Simon Sinek's, um, I'm going to, I'm going to probably mispronounce or mis, misassociate what the title of this talk is, but I believe it's something along the lines of start with why. Yeah, that's it. And that, that's what I was scratching around. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think it's any different than your friends, right? Which is. Uh, there's friendship through common experience, but the most powerful bonds are with people with whom you have common beliefs. And when you have a very clear sense of what you think a brand believes in, and you believe in that too, then usually you're a fan for life. Yeah, and I definitely think in hospitality and definitely in the world of small hotels, when a small property resonates with you and you're like, I know the feeling of this place you go there for life. You know, there's people who go, we go there every year for the last 50 years because yeah. we have some strong bond and association with that place, how it makes us feel, how the people there also seem to feel. Um, you know, our boutique hotel, we've got more staff than rooms and there's a definitely a very specific feeling there. I know a lot yeah. of it just grew organically and you either like it or you don't. I think um, you're right. A lot of that's going to grow organically, but I, I do believe as well, this has been true for us the last few years. We've had a lot of conversations lately with what is our culture and what would we like our culture to be and being very intentional about it. Because as, as much as our resort has been in business for close to 40 years now, 
um, that conversation was never actually officially had with what, yeah. like, who do we want to actually be as a culture? And then what that does is it allows you to, in some ways to enhance the things that, that can and should be enhanced. There's, there's always subtleties in, in how you do that, but um, in saying, oh, we actually, we could be better in these areas. Um, we have elements of that and that's part of what defines us as a culture, but we could actually be better. Or there's areas where we say, maybe we should drop this because it's inconsistent with who we are, or it's, it's, it's giving us a negative um, connotation when we actually step back and look at how we're, how we're playing across the big picture. So I think those are important conversations to have, which in my opinion are, go back to a branding conversation. How, how are we going to find the culture that we build here? Yeah. That's it. Cool. Um, Casey, well, I know, we wrap her up? I know they're getting on on time. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's wrap it up. Let me, let me ask you one last marketing question and then, um, sure. and then let's talk about where people can find you. So when it comes to, to small boutique uh, resorts and, and obviously you, you started with your family, you guys are still, do you still have that then? Or you still have, no, we uh, had a small, we had a small hotel in Panama many years ago yeah. and we sold, sold that before I returned to Costa Rica in 2012. Um, so we just still operate one property in, in the northern part of Costa Rica at the beach. That's called Villa okay, Buena so you do have, It's What is it called? Still operate Villa Buena Onda. Villa Buena Onda. Yeah, Buena Onda is like the Costa Rica uh, equivalent of saying goodbye, bro. Oh, <laughs> I should know Sur that, but I don't. Sur surfer lingo. Uh, um, well, so if you're looking for a good property to stay at, you can in Costa Rica, you can check that one out. Uh, but that it's also means that it prefers that <laughs> yeah. adults only. So no, any children that are listening to this podcast, no kids. You, you can't yeah. Any three year old. You rent the whole joint. Um, yeah. So is there any last advice that you'd give to two boutique operators that are out there? Cause that's the majority of the listeners that we've got are in that space. They're, they're operating um, a space that's a boutique destination or ranch resort islands somewhere around the world. Anything? Yeah. Um, your wisdom? My, my advice in closing any small hotel is you got to think like an agency. You got to stop thinking like a hotel. You, you are a travel agent, whether you like it or not. So if you're going to attempt to have direct bookings, you need to start thinking of your property in the bigger context of your destination. You need to talk to some of your friends who are tour operators and travel agents. You need to have a little bit of that corporate culture inside your property where you're saying like, we can't just depend on the, on the whole industry to promote us. Even if you're, even if you are, even if you're heavy on B2B marketing, you still have to be a marketer, a promoter and a seller of your property. You can't just operate. I'm a firm believer in that, obviously, um, but I think that's very stage, sage, sage advice. So, uh, Casey, where can people find your 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 travel agency, your online travel agency, um, and and maybe the hotel as well? Is there there a specific website or something? Yeah, I mean, overall, we call our organization the Namu Travel Group. Uh, we're best known for our first business, which is Costa Rica Vacations. VacationsCostaRica.com, although we offer all Central America and a little bit of Colombia and Ecuador. And then our eight room boutique, unique adults only property is Villa Buena Onda. That's uh, very close to the Lee Berry Airport in Guanacaste, Costa Rica. Okay, that's awesome. We will definitely include those links in the show notes. So wherever you're listening to this, go find the description for this podcast and we'll have those links there. So you can check out. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Casey. I really appreciate your time. Um, fascinating, fascinating guy to talk to just because like I said, you don't see a ton of, of uh, our kind of marketers in the industry. So good to get your input. And, and I think it's also a validation to say, Hey, I know what I'm doing is working, but no one else seems to understand that. Um, so here's one other person that's out there at least that's uh, saying, yeah, it's, it's one, one of my favorite quotes is uh, Peter Thiel says, tell me what you believe that no one else believes. And I'll tell you something that I, it seems that only you and I believe, which is if you're small, avoid the heck out of online booking. I, I think it's yeah. a gigantic missed opportunity to drive your traffic uh, straight to online booking. You need to have conversations with people. Yeah, it's, I mean, that's, that's such a key point. I know we talked about that in a previous conversation, but yeah. and, and to know it's possible, to know it's possible. Yeah. Like we don't use any OTAs. 
And there, there are reasons for that, but we don't have to use OTAs. We don't have to, to pay the commissions to them, but you lose a treasure trove of information from your guests if you use OTAs. And that's a really good, good way of. And, and you lose the customer, but I think you and I might be the only two small hotel marketers uh, in the world who think avoid your online booking piece. I just think that you got to have conversations with people. Yeah. Um, Oh, so you were talking, I actually, I think I was, I was reading that wrong. I was thinking about the OTA. You're actually talking about um, just not allowing guests like to book directly on yeah. the website. Yeah. And I we're on the it's same okay to allow it. Yeah. I think it's okay to allow. I yeah. just think it's silly to drive people there, particularly yeah. if your property is in any way quirky or unique or small. Uh, you just, you lose out on so many opportunities to, to steer a conversation the way it should be steered versus giving customers the tools to sometimes hurt themselves. Yeah. Uh, yeah, totally agree, in agreement with that too. We, we really want our customers to actually phone in uh, or interact with us before they just click a button and book. There's, yeah. there's a lot of benefits to, to that. Okay. Well, Listen, Casey, thank you have again. a great weekend. Yeah, you too, Ben. Um, thank you so much for your time. And like I said before, if you want to find any of what Casey's working on, we're going to leave some links in the show notes below. So check those out. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that interview. I wanted to let you know that if you're listening to this podcast and you've got some ideas that you want to share with the industry, um, especially if you think they're innovative or just you've gotten amazing results with them, I'd love to have you as a guest on the show as well. If you want to write in, write to info at tourismmanagementacademy.com and uh, we'll have a chat, we'll slot you in and uh, we'll see if we can bring you onto the show. All right, have a great day. We'll talk to you in the next episode.